And using that incision, we again tunnel under the skin to remove the breast mound or the breast tissue. The skin on the chest and the nipple area and the areola is saved. And then the mound gets recreated again by the plastic surgeon using whatever technique, such as an implant or the patient's own tissue. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Co-Un Clara Park, a James surgeon who specializes in breast cancer. Our topic today is a new and innovative surgical technique, a robotic nipple-sparing mastectomy that Clara and her team at the James and Stephanie Spielman Comprehensive Breast Center are utilizing in a clinical trial that has shown a lot of promise. Welcome, Clara. Thanks, Steve, for having me today. Well, let's get started and learn a little bit about you and your background. What got you interested in science and medicine and and oncology? Sure. So I remember when my earliest experience of follow your parents to work day, following my father, who is a pathologist, to his lab and helping him do research while he was doing cancer research. And one of the things that he studied is bone cancer or specific cancer called osteosarcoma. And that was really my introduction to medicine. And for those in the audience who may know anything about bone cancer, it's a very rare type of cancer, actually. But growing up, I thought everyone had it. Um, I remember having a little bump in my leg and thinking that I had osteosarcoma. And so that just kind of being in, immersed very early on into the disease of cancer really sparked my interest. And I continued that on into undergraduate as a biochemistry major. And also before medical school, I worked full time actually as a lab technician in a breast cancer lab. And that's really where I first got introduced to breast cancer as a disease, more in the scientific realm, on naturally transitioned in residency, learning about it in the clinical aspects. So that's interesting. You were and are able to continue to combine the science, the pathology part that you saw with your father and the surgical patient treatment care part of it. Yeah. And so it was really interesting to learn about the science and the research behind cancer research first, and then get introduced to the clinical aspect and the surgical aspect of it later on. Most patients get exposed to breast cancer first as a disease, whether personally or a family member, unfortunately, having breast cancer being so common in the United States. Because so many women are diagnosed with breast cancer and many of them need surgery and mastectomies, sort of to understand the new technique, fill us in on sort of the current technique and what that entails and how this new um, robotic nipple sparing mastectomy will be in advance. Sure. So there's a lot of different ways that we can remove breast cancer surgically these days. One is to do a what's called a lumpectomy or a partial mastectomy, removing a portion of the breast. And the other is to remove the entire breast, which is called a mastectomy. And a traditional mastectomy typically involves removing the entire breast, the as much as the skin as possible on the chest and the nipple and the areola, which is the 
um, the darkened portion outside of the nipple. And when the patients wake up from surgery, they no longer have a breast, they're flat, and there's an incision going across the chest where the breast used to be. So that's our conventional traditional mastectomy. And from there, we've evolved into doing things like skin sparing mastectomy, which involves removing the nipple and the areola, removing the mound of the breast, saving the skin and the breast mound or the shape of the breast gets reconstructed or recreated by the reconstructive plastic surgeons. And so that when the patients wake up from surgery, where the nipple used to be, there's a line incision going across, and then the breast shape is recreated by reconstructive surgery. And what we've learned is that while that method of breast surgery and reconstruction does provide patients a little bit more psychological benefits than being flat in certain patients. We also learned that the nipple and the areola is really a defining feature on the skin and uh, of the chest. And so from there, research has evolved to include what's called a nipple sparing or a nipple saving mastectomy. And traditionally, this operation is performed by making an incision where and the inframammary fold or where the traditionally the underwire of the bra sits. And using that incision, we again tunnel under the skin to remove the breast mound or the breast tissue. The skin on the chest and the nipple area and the areola is saved. And then the mound gets recreated again by the plastic surgeon using whatever technique such as an implant or the patient's own tissue. And this operation is called a nipple sparing mastectomy. Now, before we get into the specifics of that and have, have you walk us through sort of the, the surgical technique, that term robotic is, is one we've talked about before on this podcast. And we've had a couple other surgeons who do, their, do it robotically. There's no robots involved, right? What's the, it, which, so it makes it, it's a bit of a misnomer, but yes. <laughs> when, so when you say robotic surgery, what does that actually mean? Sure. So robotic surgery, it's not that there are these um, automated robots that do the operation right. while the surgeon's having a cup of coffee in the yeah. lounge, right? And so basically the uh, arms or the robot, if you will, are inserted into the patient by the surgeon uh, as a long instrument, kind of like tongs that you use or, or chopsticks or something like that. And though that part of the robotic arm, if you will, is connected directly to a a device called the console. And, and the console has the three-dimensional virtual uh, camera attached to it so that when I put my head into the console, I'm able to see what the camera is projecting. And they, there's a handpiece within it where my hands are directly controlling the robotic arms that I have placed into the patient. And you have, and there's video cameras at the ends of some of these tubes that show you what to do. Exactly. And you operate. I'm always curious, is part of the learning curve is traditionally in surgery, you're looking at what you're cutting, removing, mm -hmm. and you, you also do that and learn that. The transition to looking at a video screen and using those instruments, is that a, a difficult one? And how long does it take before that just becomes second nature? 
Yeah. And so there's actually an in-between step called laparoscopic surgery that's been pioneered since the right. 1980s. And that's a very similar concept. You're looking at a video screen and you're controlling these long instruments, these laparoscopic instruments. And so the concept is very similar. And having grown up in that laparoscopic surgery era as a general surgery resident, it was very natural for me to transition into robotics and transition into that world workflow of depending more on our eyes to, to see what we need to see in terms of the planes and the tissue in order to operate. Okay. So you, you walked us through the different stages from mastectomy to the uh, one where uh, they remove the nipple and do reconstructive to now the third step, which is um, a mastectomy where you're able to save the nipple so first, again, we're going to we're going to get there quick, but who would be eligible? What would make a woman ideal for this clinical trial that you're doing? Sure. So for the robot assisted nipple sparing mastectomy, essentially what we are trying to test is using the robot to perform the same nipple sparing mastectomy that I just described that we used to do with open technique using my own hands. And so the ideal patients for the clinical study are ideal patients for traditional nipple sparing mastectomy. And unfortunately, because of the technique of the operation, there are some limitations on which patients can receive nipple sparing mastectomy in general. Obviously, number one, the cancer cannot involve the nipple or any right. surface of the skin because those will remain on the patients. So that's the first criteria. The second criteria has to do with sort of the anatomy of the patient. What I mean by that is if the breast is very large or if it has what's called ptosis, which is a way of describing uh, droop of the breast, meaning where the nipple is positioned in relationship to the remainder of the breast. And if the patient has a very large breast or a lot of ptosis or droop of the breast, then unfortunately, nipple sparing mastectomy would not be a very good option for that patient for a variety of reasons. Number one, it's extremely challenging to excise the entire breast tissue while preserving all of that skin that has stretched out over time. Number two, it's also exceedingly challenging to reconstruct a very large breast that has been removed while saving a lot of skin on the chest. And so for those reasons, the ideal patient for a robot-assisted nipple-sparing mastectomy tend to be uh, thinner patients with smaller breast and no droop or ptosis of their breast. Now, is this usually done... I know in a, in a lot of women, they, they get diagnosed with um, breast cancer in one breast, and then the genetic testing is done, and they may have the BRCA gene mutation, which would make it more likely that they and family members would be diagnosed with breast cancer. So is it generally on just the breast where the cancer is, or do you sometimes do a double robotic nipple yeah. sparing surgery? So with regards to the clinical study itself, we've made the criteria very broad so that it's easier for patients to consider the study. And so basically, if the patients are considering mastectomy 
for nipple sparing mastectomy in particular, for any variety of reasons, they are eligible for the robot study. What I mean by that is it could just be one side where they have the cancer diagnosis, or they have a cancer diagnosis and they're pursuing a risk reduction on the opposite non-cancer side, that is allowed, or they don't have cancer at all and they are proceeding with bilateral or double mastectomy for risk reduction purposes, whether it's because of a BRCA mutation, like you mentioned, all of those patients who are considering nipple sparing mastectomy are allowed on the study to proceed with a robotic assisted nipple sparing mastectomy. Okay, good. That was a great explanation. And we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back with Clara, we're going to learn all about the actual procedure of this robotic assisted nipple sparing mastectomy. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At the James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Clara Park, a James surgeon who specializes in a new surgical technique, a robotic-assisted nipple sparing mastectomy. And Clara, we're now at the point where put us in the operating room with you and sort of describe and walk us through the steps of, of this new operation. Sure. So from the patient's perspective, it's very similar to when they undergo any other surgery or breast surgery. They are introduced to the, they come into the operating room, the anesthesiologist will uh, put them to sleep under general anesthesia, which includes a breathing tube. And once the patients are comfortable and asleep, we start the operation actually making a very small incision at the lateral part of the chest. So essentially, if you can imagine when you put your arm down, where your arm covers up your chest, that's kind of where we make our incision. And so this is a very different location than where a traditional mastectomy incision would be. And the reason why the incision is made in that location is because we often walk around with our arms down rather than our arms up up, above our head. And so when your arms are down, then naturally the incisions will be covered. And this is often also a location where the women's bra will cover up this location. So it's very invisible of a scar. We start out. Yes. I was going to say, you have options of where to do it. And because of the reasons you just said, this is the best cosmetic option. Exactly. And then we start by making what's called a working space. And in any kind of robotic surgery, whether it's breast or in the abdomen, there always needs to be what's called a working space, which is enough of a space inside the patient's body where it allows the robotic instruments to insert into. And because there is no natural working space on our lateral chest and our breast, we have to essentially create that space. And so that is done in a very traditional open surgery technique by, by myself where we use the robot, uh, the open instruments called an electrocautery or a bovie to create a space 
above the breast and underneath the skin. And the idea is that we open up some of this initial dissection using open techniques so that the robotic arms have space to insert into. Once that space has been created, we put in our special uh, ports, which is the opening cap where the robotic instruments go in. And we actually introduce what's uh, gas, CO2 gas, to kind of insufflate that open space and expand it even more. And so you can imagine um, if you have a beach volleyball, you kind of blow it with air and it expands up. It's kind of like that. The space will open up and fill up with CO2 gas. And that allows us to insert our robotic cameras and small robotic instruments into the patient's uh, breast so that we can see exactly where the skin ends and where the breast begins. And we use small scissors to dissect out the breast tissue. Once we finished our dissection, then the breast tissue is removed. Wow. Okay. I can picture that. And that makes such sense that you need to create a space to put the instruments in, whereas in the abdomen, when you open it up, there's natural spaces between organs and things. So I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Okay. What comes next? So basically, we use the camera. And as explained earlier, I'm sitting in a console, which connects my movements to the robotic movements. So when I go left, the robot goes left. When I go right, the robot goes right. And using these back and forth motions, we remove the breast tissue from the overlying skin. Kind of analogous to peeling an orange out of the orange rind, you kind of create that, you find that space and you dissect out the breast tissue. Once the dissection is complete and the breast is completely disconnected from the patient, we remove the robotic arms and through that small incision on the lateral chest, we remove the breast tissue and all of the tissue that we remove gets sent to the pathology department for analysis of the tissue to make sure that there's no cancer cells. And if there's not, that means, or, or if there is or there's not, what does that mean? Or how does that impact? Oh, yes. You do so next? I should clarify. Um, in the case of a cancer case, then we want to make sure that the breast cancer was removed while not touching the edges or the surrounding tissue of the breast, which is called a margin. And so that's what we are analyzing for. So does that mean that as you remove different sections of the breast, in a sense, I don't know if labels the right word, but you need to let the pathologist know that these are around the edges. So if there's no cancer cells there and those edges, then you know it hasn't traveled. Exactly. So we always orient what we remove so that the pathologist can assess the edges or the margins of what we remove. And one of the key things that we are testing in the study is to make sure that the entire breast tissue will be removed as an entire block of tissue rather than in small segments. Oh, okay. I I didn't I was picturing smaller segments, but you're doing it all as one piece. And then the pathologist will uh, look at different parts of that. Exactly. So that was one of the concerns when we, when this robotic surgery first came about was that because the incision is so small and the breast is so large that 
people were concerned the breast would be cut in different ways for it to be removed. But what we have found in all of our preliminary studies and our trial currently ongoing is that we are able to remove the entire breast tissue through this small incision market and oriented for the pathologists, like you said, and they are the ones who will examine the tissue, cut it like a loaf of bread, and then kind of go right. through all of the different sections. Wow. I can't help but think back to your father and that uh, I, I know he doesn't work at the James, but you and he probably talk about this and the role of the pathologist. And, and he probably is curious about what you do. Yeah. And so maybe it, it, it maybe it, it was kind of subconscious, his influence, but I, I oftentimes go up to the pathology department at the James and I'm very close with the pathology department here. Yeah. You have a, a natural respect for what they do. Yeah, exactly. So you did mention you're in, if I understand correctly, you're in the er- very early stages of this clinical trial and how long is it going to last in any sense of how many women could be involved? Yeah, so we're very excited. It, it was actually a very long road to coming this point. Uh, we started brainstorming back in 2018, and it, I can't believe it's already 2021 and a very different world than when we yeah. first started yeah. brainstorming this, as everyone can imagine. And so we, the clinical trial is now active and open. We have accrued patients. Patients have actually successfully completed their operation with the robotic nipple sparing mastectomy. We're anticipating that we will finish with the initial phase of the study in a year's time. It has been a bit of a challenge with COVID and some reluctance from patients receiving their mammograms. And so um, finding patients with earlier on stages of breast cancer, which is uh, usually the ideal patient for this operation has been a bit of a challenge, but we're anticipating that in a year's time, we will finish with the initial phase of the study. We're hoping to finish 12 total cases of robot-assisted nipple-sparing mastectomy. This information will be provided to the FDA uh, as they are also the regulating body of this medical device. So, Let's assume or hope that it sh- that this clinical trial shows that yes, this works and this can be done. If you look ahead into the five, ten years down the road, is the hope that this becomes sort of the the one of the the many uh, best treatment options for women that other cancer comprehensive cancer centers around the country and the world will adopt your clinical trial results and techniques? Absolutely, I'm really hoping like you said, that we have a favorable result from our current clinical study and that in five, hopefully sooner years, we can kind of work through some of the regulatory issues that we have with introducing a new technique, medical device and technique into women's health and into breast cancer, and that we can reach the phase of where we are teaching other surgeons how to perform this operation so that more women can benefit from it. Wow. So this, uh, your clinical trial is being funded by Pelotonia, which our ride was 
uh, six or seven weeks ago, and you rode in Pelotonia, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I'm still recovering from it. It seems <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but yes, it was very, very inspiring. Like every, every year, I get so inspired and motivated, and I'm so excited that Pelotonia is funding our research. Not, and I, I wish I had the good sense of like. Uh, I really wanted to print out the first papers that we published with the Pelotonia funding because it was just so inspiring to be there and so exciting to see the community come together. Thank you, Clara, for sharing all that really interesting and important information about your new clinical trial. And perhaps you'll update us in a year or two when the results are in. Thank you so much for having me today, Steve. It was great to be here. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.